Good morning, and welcome to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. It's good to see all of you, and for those of you joining us online or after the fact, glad that you could be with us as well today. So as we are getting started at church this morning, I wanted to do a couple of welcome and announcements, as we usually do, because some of us are new and visiting. My name is Matthew. I'm the senior pastor here on behalf of all of us. Glad that you could be with us today. And here at Pleasant Street, we have a number, we stand on the cusp of a number of new things that are all about to fly and launch, or whatever metaphor you want to use, for the start of the new year. And if you'd like to learn more about those ministries and opportunities, you can find quite a bit of information in your bulletin right now about those things. So please do take your time to look through those. Uh, Join us for the things that seem like they would be helpful in your discipleship and helping you know Jesus. And also do join us in praying for these things. Uh, As we get started today, uh, those of you who are with us for the Friday email might have noticed this, but I wasn't sure what to call this. Maybe uh, Unplugged Sunday or uh, Throwback Sunday? I'm not sure. In, In any case, what's happening today is that we are going to be worshiping in a way uh, that we haven't for a little while. We're going to be using the organ and the hymnal. And so I wanted to let you know about that. Uh, As we worship as a congregation, Pleasant Street has said one of the things that's important to us is that we are a blended church when we worship. And blended, sometimes we feel that mix of both ancient and modern songs each Sunday. Sometimes we feel it in a greater variety. So today, we will be dipping back into a former part of our history as a congregation. We'll be singing with one of these which, if I might direct you, is in the pew in front of you, conveniently placed there for your accessibility. Now, if you haven't seen one of these before, this is called a hymnal, and this was invented in case the electricity goes out. Because what happens is that even if there's a power outage, what you can do is, just watch closely, you open it, and you don't have to swipe, or there's no power button. The words are just there, right? They're just always there. It's very convenient. So if you have never used a hymnal before, uh, we have the numbers. Each hymn has a number to it, right? And so if that's new to you, we'll, of course, have the words on the screen. But if you would like to follow along in the book, there's a number in the corner that tells you which song we'll be singing. So look for that number in your bulletin. I'll call it out for us, too, and please follow along there. Thanks to Jonathan as well, who will be leading us uh, from the organ as well. Uh, Finally, as I mentioned, when we worship... Uh, We are a congregation that speaks multiple languages. Some of us using this hymnal, I'm being a little coy, right? But for some of us, this is the first way that we learned to voice our praises to God. And so today we are getting to speak our native language. And for others of us, this is a second language that we are still learning. And so we want to make room for each other, both to celebrate those who are connecting with something very familiar and also helping each other for those of us for whom it is new. I want to tell you one story about uh, my friend Brian, call him Brian, uh, whom I knew in Silicon Valley. And uh, he came to church with us, and it was, uh, it was a place where he was surrounded by people his age, always, and uh, where he was surrounded by new and novel things. And uh, then he came to church with us, and uh, we sang with an organ, and I was talking to him about that after the fact. And I asked Brian, what was that like? And he struggled to find the words. But what he wound up saying is there was something about this that was settling, that gave rest to my soul, because he was around people who were a different age than him. (laughs) And he was around a vocabulary and and a set of sounds that were unusual. And so I tell you that story in case this is new to you, to invite you into the possibility that that could be your experience today too. But friends, whatever music we are using, right, whatever instruments we have, we are worshiping God, and God speaks all these languages. And so would you rise in body and spirit, and let's worship together. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom do you trust? And why do you look to heaven? And what do we do now? We wait for the Lord with our 
Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, send your spirit of wisdom upon us this morning. Meet us in your words that we might know the hope to which you've called us and so that we might do everything in word and in deed in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Speak, Lord, for your servants. Friends, I'd invite you to sing together with, as one voice. We sing the mighty power of God. It's number 430 in your hymnal. Pray with me. Lord God, we sing your mighty power that created all things and that is recreating us in Jesus Christ. Receive our worship now as we continue it in song. Amen. Friends, please turn with me to number 246, Come Thou Almighty King.
be seated. We come, friends, to glory in the praises of our God together and to remember together his greatest and most praiseworthy act to take us dead in our sin and to breathe new life into us. When we were lost and far from home, to run to us, to embrace us, to put a cloak on us, to bring us home. All the scriptures give us these images of redemption, renewal, restoration, healing, and wholeness. And this leads us to praise and also reminds us that as we continue to struggle against sin, in this place, we can acknowledge that to God who has already shown us what he has done about it. And so, friends, would you join me in a prayer of confession? This is based on a document, part of our uh, tradition. We are pulling out all the stops today, no pun intended, Jonathan. Uh, we're going to draw on the Heidelberg Catechism and its reflections on the Lord's Prayer, which is something we've been using in worship over the summer. Today, we're going to move that here to confession and use that prayer to frame our own words of sin and confession, seeking God's renewal. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we confess that we are more interested in ruling our own kingdoms than being ruled in yours. We confess that we'd rather let our own will run wild than submit to yours. Open our eyes to see again that your kingdom and your will alone are good. Lord Jesus, you taught us to pray. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Father, we confess that we take credit for what you give freely. And so we are a people of small thanks and great anxiety. Lord, evil still clings to us, and there is no health in us. Forgive us our sins, and by so doing, give us the freedom and power to forgive our neighbors. Lord Jesus, you taught us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, we are too weak to face our enemies alone. The way of the world, the schemes of Satan, and our own selfish desires oppress us and threaten slavery. Uphold us in your Holy Spirit and make us strong so that we may finally resist our enemies until the day your kingdom comes in glory. For yours is the kingdom. And you, Father, are our all-powerful King. Yours is the power. And you, Lord, are willing and able to do what is good. Yours is the glory forever. And we glorify you, our Father and King, for you hear us even more certainly than we believe what we are praying. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. In the presence of the Spirit, take a few moments to make these words your own. Lord Jesus, in this silence, as we add our own words to those we've spoken together, we ask that you would hear and forgive all of these things in the power and the name of Jesus. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I come to you with good news from God himself today. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. The riches of God's grace have been poured out upon us. Praise be to God, who has chosen us and made us his own. Praise be to our Father, who forgives and cleanses us and enables us to forgive others. Whose kingdom comes even now. Praise be to our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, in this good news, would you rise? 
Let's respond to God together, singing, And Can It Be? It's number 267. and sisters, in the power of the gospel, we remember that the Christian life is not a go and do, but first of all, look at what God has done. And in the power of that reflection, we are empowered to go and live differently. And so as people being conformed into the image of Christ, we have a chance to respond to God together by giving for our offering. You may be seated. 
Our offering this morning is a response to this good news of what God has done, and it is a participation in the life of God's church together. And our offering today is for the work of our congregation and the ministries that it supports. I'm going to invite the deacons up now to help us do that together. Our response to God opens our hands to give generously, and it also opens our hands to shake another person's hand. And so in the power of that same gospel, not only do we find something new to do uh, with the things that God has given us, but we also find something new to say to each other. What I mean is we pass the peace. And so brothers and sisters, in response to God's making peace with you, would you rise and extend that peace to each other? For friends, the peace of Christ be with you. Greet each other. Good morning. My name is Brett Buma. I'm one of the elders here at Pleasant Street, and it's uh, my privilege to lead us this morning in prayer. So you bow your head to me, please. Heavenly Father, creator of all, we thank you for a glorious day today, and we thank you that you've called us into your house this morning. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Great are you, Lord, and worthy of praise. Your greatness no one can fathom. We thank you that you not only allow us to come to you in prayer, but you invite us to do so. So we come before you now. Holy Spirit, intercede for us and fill this place with your presence. Lord, on this Labor Day weekend, we thank you for the work that you have given us to do. You created us to work as you worked at your creation. You placed Adam and Eve in the garden to work in it, and we pray that you will bless the work that we do. And we pray for those who are looking for work that they may find it. Lord, we thank you that you also call us to work and serve in your kingdom. We are not called to be spectators, but to serve. Bless the work of our pastor and staff here at Pleasant Street, and bless the work of the many volunteers who serve and minister to our congregation. With a new church season beginning and programs starting after a time off, we pray that these will bring us closer to you and to each other. Help us to use our gifts and talents in service to others. Father God, just as you have given us work, you've given us a Sabbath as a day of rest from our labors. In a a special day to worship you in your house. We thank you for the Sabbath. Lord, we pray for students who have returned to school. Bless them in their learning. May that they come to know that you are the God of language, mathematics, history, science, and the arts. And may they know that our world belongs to you. We also pray for the teachers who will be instructing the students. Grant them wisdom, patience, fairness, and joy in their work. And Lord, we pray a special blessing for Whitensville Christian as they strive to nurture the academic, spiritual, personal, social, creative, and physical developments of students for Christ-like service in your world. May WCS continue to be a blessing to all who attend there. Lord, we rejoice today with uh, Christopher H. and Brittany R. who will be getting married later today. And we pray that you will bless their life together. And we ask that you will protect and strengthen all of our marriages. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray a blessing on those who are in our church who are struggling with health issues. We give you thanks and praise for a successful surgery for Audrey B. And pray that she will continue to recover. We pray that you'll be with Carol L. who's having health issues. And we thank you that her spirit is bright and that she is at home now. We pray that you will... Uh, provide healing to Karen S. and Cindy H. as they fight cancer, and be with their families as they come along to provide care and support. Lord, we pray for Heidi W., who is in hospice care now in, in the final weeks of her life. And we ask that you will be with John as he cares for her and for their girls as they go through this difficult time. Comfort them, Lord, and may they know that you are the resurrection and the life. We pray for all of those who struggle with illnesses, be they physical or mental. Be with those who struggle with pain uh, or depression or anxiety or grief or loneliness. Lord, bless them and strengthen them and grant them the peace that passes all understanding. 
Spirit, we pray that you'll be on Pastor Matthew as he brings your word to us this morning. Speak through him and give us open minds and open hearts to hear what you say through him. Lord, we thank you for your saving grace. We ask that you will be with us all this week, and we pray that we will go into the world as your image bearers with the joy and gratitude of those who have been saved. We pray this all in our Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. Our readings this morning come from several chapters in Proverbs. Um, I'm not going to list each of the chapters and verses as we switch around because they're going backwards and forwards, um, but the information is in your bulletin if you would like to look at it later, specifically where they came from. The word of the Lord. The sayings of King Lemuel, an inspired utterance his mother taught him. Listen, my son. Listen, son of my womb. Listen, my son, the answer to my prayers. Do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. It is not for kings, Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Let beer be for those who are perishing, wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. The poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. It is a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor, and do not crush the needy in court, for the Lord will take up their case and will exact life for life. Do not be one who shakes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. Do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your ancestors. Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. An unplowed field produces food for the poor, but injustice sweeps it away. If you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering toward slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? Do not gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice, or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from them. The poor and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives sight to the eyes of both. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Well, the school year is just starting, but actually our summer course is just ending. All summer we have been enrolled in a course of wisdom here at Pleasant Street under the sages of Israel who wrote these words down many, 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 many years ago. You could call it a distance course. Today we look at the last theme in this book and it is good to remember that at the end of this time together the goal was not for us to pass a final exam. It was not for us to memorize this information, but for us to learn to live it on the road test of life. And so it is good to remember that even though we hit these topics only one at a time, it is the Holy Spirit, our teacher, who will lead us into all truth. So friends, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you had so much to say to your disciples when they were with you. And they could not possibly have remembered it all, even if they tried. 
as your disciples today who sit before a book with more wisdom than we can memorize. We take comfort and hope in the same promise you gave to your first followers in that upper room, that you would send the Spirit who would lead us into all truth and who would remain with us always. And so, Lord Jesus, sitting before these words at your feet, we ask that you would give us that Spirit now, that you'd soften our hearts to hear wisdom, that you would open our eyes to know the path of wisdom, and that you would enliven our faith so that our chains might fall off, we might rise forth and follow you. Amen. In the 16th century, the German Protestant reformer Martin Bucer wrote a book to the king of England. So Bucer was in France. He wrote to the English king. Always dangerous. Bucer was a pastor and a theologian who lives in Strasbourg. He is the guy who taught John Calvin, okay? So anything good in John Calvin, it probably came from Bucer. Bootser is remembered for being one of the gentlest and most erratic reformers. And at one point, he writes this book to the King of England about how it is his job and responsibility to care for the poor. You see, the King of England wanted to make his country more Christian. And so, knowing this, Bootser writes to him and he says, Well, if you want to do that, then the thing that you need to take seriously is aiding the poor. He writes, quote, all who do not earnestly desire to alleviate poverty and assist people who cannot find work, openly witness about themselves that however they may glory in the words about the kingdom of Christ, in reality, they neither acknowledge it truly or seek it sincerely. Or more simply put, those who do not desire to alleviate poverty don't seek God. Talk about speaking truth to power. Wow. And this from the guy who Martin Luther and Philip Melanchthon thought was the most gentle and virtuous guise of all the Reformation. He said, a society that tolerates poverty cannot properly call itself a Christian society. Talk about speaking truth to power. Actually, in the book of Proverbs, we would call this speaking wisdom to the king. And it's something that actually we've already heard once before. Lemuel's mother said something very similar to the king who happens to be her son. Proverbs began, if you remember all those weeks ago, with wisdom personified as a woman. And it ends here on the other end of the book with the wisdom of a very real woman. The wisdom of a mother to her son, King Lemuel. Now, we don't know who King Lemuel was. The rabbis wondered if maybe that was another name for King Solomon, which would be very interesting, because it would mean that the wise King Solomon learned at least some of what he knew from his mom. Lemuel might be king, but it's his mother who has the wisdom today, right? Her wisdom also is familiar because it's the same kind of wisdom that mothers in many times and places have been trying to impress upon their sons. She warns them about dangerous women and drunkenness. But it's why she warns him in particular that's so interesting and important. Because you see, the king, especially in the ancient world, could have anything that he wants. Lemuel's mother says, avoid evil. Why? Because it's your job to do good. For a king's work is to care for the vulnerable and the afflicted. No, no, my son, she says. Leave the bottle to the grieving. Your job is to speak for those who choke on their tears. Your job is to defend those who have no hope for justice in the courts. Your job, she says, is to separate yourself from the evil of meaningless pleasures so that you might care for those who only have those left. We enrolled in this course back in June. Today, in our final lesson together, we hear the stern words of a mother It is wise to care for the vulnerable. With considerable boldness, she tells that 
to the King, and also to us. Friends, friends, the sages would tell us that it is wise to care for the vulnerable, but it may not always seem like it. Lemuel's mother and Martin Bucer are not alone. In fact, if you read the Old Testament from Pentateuch to prophets, from Israelite narrative history to praise songs and the Psalms, the Old Testament speaks about caring for the vulnerable, the widow and the orphan and the stranger who is in your midst. It is wise to care for the vulnerable, but it may not seem like it. Why? Proverbs 14, 20, and 21 gives us at least one of the reasons. The poor are shunned, the sage writes, even by their neighbors, but rich folks have plenty of people at their barbecues. Nobody wants to be friends with the poor or the vulnerable, and anyone who's been to middle school could say, duh. It reminds me of a story about Jeff, who is a pastor, who ran into Tony at his 40th birthday party. They'd not seen each other since college, but somehow they were able to pick up right where they left off. There on a beautifully appointed patio at the home of a beautiful person, they caught up on their kids and their jobs, But then the conversation took a vulnerable turn. Tony confessed that he and his wife were on the verge of financial ruin. You see, both Tony and his wife had good incomes and stable jobs, but the problem was that Tony couldn't stop spending money. Expensive cars, vacations, home remodels, a summer cottage, country club memberships. Jeff asked him the obvious question, why? Tony told a story. He explained that his dad left when he was six and his mom did the best that she could for three kids. But it was tough to make ends meet and the poverty sometimes showed around the edges. In particular, at the start of seventh grade, Tony had had a growth spurt over the summer. His mom could not afford new pants. So Tony started the school year with short pants, which meant he also started the school year with a new nickname. Noah. They called him Noah. He wore that name through the rest of his school life. And in fact, since then, it was like no matter what he bought, he couldn't take it off. Tony was determined to separate himself from that name because, well, why? Because everybody separates themselves from the poor. Nobody wants to be friends, but the rich have plenty of friends. And yet the sages tell us that shunning your neighbor because they're poor is an offense before God. The sages would have us see that how we treat the vulnerable always has something to do with how well we know God. For the sages of Israel understand that true worship of the living God will always mean loving your neighbor no matter what kind of income your neighbor has. And they tell us why. It's it's there in 22. It says, because God himself notices them and God himself does pro bono work on their behalf. Which is, of course, exactly what God did for Israel, Israel when they were vulnerable. It is wise to befriend the vulnerable because God cares for us when we were vulnerable. But now the sages get into the meat of the lesson. Believe it or not, that's just the introduction. Because what they want us to see is that it isn't just wise to care for the vulnerable, but also to care wisely. Which is why in chapter 22, right after telling us to be compassionate to the poor, they also tell us to check your compassion. Don't go and co-sign for someone else's loan, they say, especially if you don't have that amount in hand. Ruining your own future is as bad as oppressing the poor. So don't put up your family's land as collateral for someone else. They'll likely have to change the name on the boundary stone. Proverbs is not fond of loaning money. The sages would always much rather have us just give it away. 
And so the sages tell us to care by giving generously, and then they also add that we should care by helping to find something for the poor and the vulnerable to do. It is wise to give generously and also to seek the personal development of the vulnerable. And so they set before us this large, lofty, and good goal in our compassion. But then again, as anyone who has ever worked in this field of wisdom knows, the reality is always more complicated. It's not as simple as giving generously and teaching skillfully and giving opportunity. Why? Why is it not enough? Because sometimes the poor work hard and are well-skilled and then other people take it away. Proverbs 13.23, as one scholar translates the Hebrew, goes like this, Much food comes from the arable soil of the poor, but is swept away because of a lack of justice. Any southern sharecropper will tell you sometimes hard work ain't enough. Anyone who lived through the Greenwood Neighborhood Massacre in Tulsa in 1921 will tell you sometimes your hard work gets burned to the ground. What the sages are saying is that it is wise to care for the vulnerable, but the vulnerable face injustice And so to care for the vulnerable sometimes means confronting injustice. Don't don't turn a blind eye when you see injustice. The sage pleads in chapter 24, rescue those who are about to be taken advantage of and stop those on the path to consuming another's life or livelihood. Because if you say, we didn't know, we couldn't possibly have known God knows. God who keeps you safe knows, and God keeps accounts. One commentator put it like this, the sages are telling us that, quote, cowardice in the face of injustice is reprehensible. So the sages tell us that it is wise to care for the vulnerable, and sometimes that means opposing evil and injustice. You know, it reminds me of words attributed to a more recent sage, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who said, in the end, we will not remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Somewhere about July 1963, eight Alabama clergy, two Methodist bishops, two Episcopal bishops, one Roman Catholic bishop, a rabbi, a Presbyterian, and a Baptist, it's not a joke, wrote a letter criticizing Dr. King and the efforts of the Southern Christian Leadership Council in Birmingham, Alabama. They said that Dr. King and his agitators were not patient enough They said that while Dr. King was all about nonviolence, nothing about his work was actually peaceful. In fact, they said that Dr. King and the SCLC were only making things worse by talking about racism in Birmingham. Apparently, Dr. King's work had managed to create an ecumenical gathering. Isn't that interesting? They found something they could agree on. And it was that Dr. King should leave and take his pursuit of justice elsewhere. From jail, Dr. King wrote a response that we have come to know as the letter from a Birmingham jail. And among other things, in it he explains why he has come all the way to Birmingham. It's very simple. He said this, I am here in Birmingham because injustice is here. Friends, it is wise to care for the vulnerable 
And sometimes that means showing up where there is injustice. The Christian ethicist and philosopher Stanley Hauerwas, who taught at Notre Dame for many years, he once wrote this. In a hundred years, if Christians are identified as people who do not kill their children or the elderly, we will have done well. Talk about setting the bar low. Notice with me that he did not say nations. He said Christians. If Christians are known this way, and my friends, anyone who steps outside of a church will tell you that that is a big if. For right now, how often we are more often known in the world around us as as people who are as partisan and selfish as everyone else, if not more so. And so it is good to see that for the book of Proverbs, it is not enough to look around and see the places where we ought to stand with the vulnerable, but in fact that the book of Proverbs pushes the reality of injustice not just out there, but in here. Proverbs 24 pushes the reality of injustice right into our hearts. And the sages tell us that the smirk on our face when we see an enemy fall down reveals the contempt in our hearts. And our laughter at the failings of an oppressor, even deserved failings, reveals one of our most persistent forms of idolatry as people. The egotistical conviction that God cares as little for our enemies as we do. There's an old Jewish proverb that the rabbis tell about Exodus 14. Exodus 14, if you don't know, is what happens right after Pharaoh releases his grasp on Israel because he has no other choice, and they walk through the Red Sea. When the Egyptians are overthrown into the sea, the proverb goes that the ministering angels began to sing a hymn of praise, but God hushed them. And said, the work of my hands is drowning in the waters, and you would sing? Keen spiritual psychologists that they are, the sages can see what is hard for us to see in this world. Injustice is not just out there. It is in here. I have met the enemy. And he is who? Us. And my friends, that means that Christians are not known for particular platforms of justice as much as we ought to be known for a way in which we seek justice. The sages tell us that Care for the vulnerable and opposition to injustice happens uniquely when we oppose it with the violence of grace. If your enemy is hungry, the sage writes in Proverbs 25, give him your food. <laughs> what? If your enemy is parched for a drink, Give him your water. I'm sorry, what? Who knows? The sage writes, in doing so, your kindness to such an enemy might be painful enough to lead them to repentance. And a whole new kind of relationship and to God's smile upon you. When they write this, the sages are not saying that it's okay to let some injustice slide. Nor are they saying literally that when your enemy is hungry or snacky, you should throw a granola bar at them. 
They're saying when your enemy's marriage falls apart, when they show up at your door because everything has been taken from them, when they've come to you as a last resort for whatever reason, you have an opportunity to invite them for a meal at your table. And who knows? Who knows? Maybe around that table, enemies could even become friends. Friends, it is wise to care for the vulnerable and to seek justice. And if we are doing that in the wisdom of God, what it will offer us is not a set of issues to have opinions on, but a new way of inhabiting the world around us. For we are a family adopted by the mercy of God, learning to live the wisdom of God. And it does not always seem like it. It reminds me of a family who lived in the fourth century in Greece. Three siblings, two brothers and a sister. Basil, the older brother, became bishop of Caesarea. We know him as Basil of Caesarea. Gregory, a younger brother, became bishop of Nyssa near Galatia. We know him as Gregory of Nyssa. And they also had a sister named Marcrina, and she was the oldest. All three of them were brilliant and passionate siblings. All three of them worked to care for the poor and overturn injustice in their ancient world there. Gregory wrote about the dignity of the poor in a world where no one did. He wrote this, Do not despise the poor. Do not think they merit no respect. Instead, reflect on who they are, and if you do that, you will understand that they have taken upon them the person of Jesus. No one ever talked about the poor having innate dignity in the ancient world. You avoided the poor and you thanked your lucky stars that you weren't one of them. But Gregory said God has made them and cares for them and so ought to we. And it was that same conviction that moved older brother Basil in 396 to develop a new kind of building project. He goes around and he raises a whole bunch of money to build the Basileias. What is it? It was a city for the poor that included housing and also a hospital where he himself would come and tend the sick. It is where the idea of the hospital comes from. In fact, even lepers are welcome there. Meanwhile, Basil excoriates the rich to follow him and do the same. The bread on your table belongs to the hungry, he writes. The cloak in your wardrobe to the naked. The shoes rotting in your house belong to the barefoot. The money in your vaults to the destitute. Meanwhile, Gregory looks around not to be outdone by his brother, and he looks at not just the disparity between wealth and poverty, but also the system that is creating it. Slavery. And in what is likely the very first anti-slavery sermon, in almost the year 400 AD, Gregory defines slavery as an unpardonable offense against God, and he says that all humans share the same nature, and that nature is free, and so you can't possibly buy or sell a person because they are literally priceless while the hair of his congregation stood on end. No one had ever said anything like that before. But it was Macrina who probably does the most. You see, because across the Roman world, wailing at the sides of the roads or on garbage heaps, are children and babies abandoned by parents. And it is a ubiquitous sight. No one thought it odd. Believe it or not, no one thought it odd. Some cities even made a virtue of the practice of infant exposure. It's practiced more often on girls than boys, we are told. Meanwhile, during a famine in Cappadocia, Marcrina begins to go to the garbage heaps and rescue infant girls and take them home and adopt them as her own. Macrina is the one who got her brothers to give up their lucrative career in law and become priests. She is the one who taught them when they were little. 
She is perhaps the most brilliant of all three. When she died, her brother Gregory gave the sermon. And he did not laud his brother Basil. He said it was his sister who reminded him of Jesus. And in fact, it is the whole family together that looks like the wisdom of Christ to me. It is the whole family together who looks like the full-orbed picture of wisdom of the Christian community seeking to lift up the impoverished, provide for their welfare, rescue children, and overturn slavery. Now, some of those things look traditional or conservative to us. Some of them look progressive, but all of them together are what the family of God does. In fact, when you put them together, they sound very much like the wisdom of the one who came full of all grace and all truth. The one cut from the same cloth as wisdom itself, the one who noticed the poor and the lame and the blind and the sin sick and who challenged the wealthy the one who taught the crowds and also who heard their stomachs rumbling and fed them. It does sound a little like the wisdom of Jesus who said, you all know eye for an eye, but I'm saying love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray what? What was it? Pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and those whom we love. God says, give to them what you have received from me. God is saying, give them what I gave you. It's what the family does. In fact, at a table with both friends and enemies, it is what Jesus did for his first disciples, giving them bread and water. No, wait, bread and wine. And not really just bread and wine, but his own body and the blood inside of it too. Gave it to them so that they could know what freedom from evil tastes like so that we could know that when all was lost in the world, God came and stood among us. Why? Well, Jesus knew that for a long time, in God's wisdom, God had been telling us that that's what you do when you love someone. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, wisdom of God in the flesh, who spoke of a kingdom coming that would change everything, including us. We ask, Lord Jesus, that in your wisdom, by your Spirit, you would show us how to follow you in all faithfulness and obedience in the world in which we live today. Show us all who are vulnerable. Give us courage to stand where they are. Breathe your wise spirit in our, light, in our life as a community that we might offer something good as an alternative. We pray this in your name. Amen. Friends, would you rise in body or in spirit, and let's sing, May the Mind of Christ My Savior. It's number 291.
power of the mind of Christ given to us, planted deep within us, we go from this place showing the love of Christ. Would you say this sending prayer with me? Friends, go in peace in the knowledge of God's power. Go in confidence in the knowledge of God's strength. Go in joy in the knowledge of God's love. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. God the sender, send us. God the sent, go with us. God the strengthener of those who go, empower us, that we may go with you and find those who will call you Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, go with God's parting blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Let's go singing. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. It's number 501.